Hello and welcome to True Crime Diary, in which we look back through the annals of true crime to discuss events that took place on this week in history. I'm your host, Mark Decano, and with me as always are my friends, Jed Lester. Hello. And Rue Turner. Hello. We want your reviews. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and preferably five stars. And if not, you can always email your review to us at stuff at truecrimediary.co.uk or through our Facebook page or Instagram account. And links to all of those are available on our website, www.truecrimediary.co.uk. And in appreciation of every five-star review, we'll give you a shout-out in a future episode. So the date we're looking at this week is the 17th of January. And on this day in 1950, a gang of armed masked men stole $2.77 million in cash and securities from the Brinks Building in Boston, Massachusetts. The robbery was called the Crime of the Century. That's pretty bold. Is Brinks the name of a bank or a building? It's the, it's a securities firm, like a transport firm. You remember we talked about Loomis Fargo? Oh, yes. So there's various... Yeah, it's an armoured car operation. Depots. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. So this is a... Oh. In, in various exactly. countries. So which one are we... We're talking about the one in 1950. 1950 Boston, Massachusetts. So which one did Rue research all Not week? again. Just so I know. <laughs> the Brinks Matt robbery, 1980s in the UK. Don't! <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if you type in Brinks over here, meaning in England, I'm assuming Brinks Matt would come up first, and that's clearly what happened. Is yeah. that, is that, I presume <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I brained my research. So there's, there's did you not research... Did you not research the 1981 Brinks robbery in New York? No, what do you mean? There was no. another one? Yeah. Did you not research the uh, Brinks robbery of 2008 in Hang Washington? On. <laughs> <laughs> you would have thought that one would come up first be in, if we're going... Brinks are having less luck than Loomis yeah, Fargo. Yeah. Well, if you do make your living <laughs> running around with massive amounts <laughs> yeah, of cash... Yeah, that is true. Yeah, yeah. They've probably had at least four robberies, but I bet they foiled, I don't know, dozens... Yeah, they know what they know. It's coming. Absolutely, I, I assume they do. They're making a bit of a bold claim by calling it the robbery of the century when you're only in 1950. 1950. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not going to be a bigger one than this for at least 50 years. <laughs> I predict. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, well, I'm sure there are a lot of caveats. There's like brackets thus far. The Brinks robbery was a crime of the century. It excited the imagination of the youth of America. It was our solemn obligation to prove to them that crime does not pay. So hang on, at the time it was the biggest, was it? Yeah, well, it was the largest robbery in US history at the time. They took 1.2 million in cash and 1.5 million in like money orders, checks and securities, so on. So combined, 2.7, which in today's money, you're talking about $30 million. It's all right, I suppose. In 1950. All right. Yeah. The plan went so well that there had hardly any um, clues left behind. It was an 11-man team. It's a very professional job. Wow. You'd think out of 11 men, they're going to leave something behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they, yeah. Men are forever leaving things lying around. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're not the tidiest of creatures. Now, in the other um, robbery money heist episodes, it appears yes. that it's mm. always an inside job. What, uh-huh. what was that? Was it? <laughs> yeah, there's always there's always someone on the well, inside opening a door or eleven men pressing a key into a piece of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were bullion handlers. 
Yeah. Uh, well, I, I have to tell you, uh, it was not an inside yeah, right. job. There was none mm. of this team were employed or employees of Brinks Incorporated. I always think it's a bit like, yeah, when it's an inside job because it's like, yeah. you know, do, nicking from your yeah. employer and and it's just a bit no imagination. Yeah, exactly. It's just a bit yeah. pathetic, really. But when it's a, I don't know, planned to the nth degree exterior based robbery, I think. Yeah. Good on you. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't think. Not that we're suggesting you'll get our admiration. No, no, no. You but it's just, it's not yours. It's more, uh, I don't know, is it more impressive? I mean, it is a bit, isn't it? Well, it is impressive. I mean, I suppose you could kind of think sort of Ocean's Eleven, but more sort of... Yes, which was made up, but it was an exterior... Yeah, yeah. It was an exterior gang who planned, planned, to the planned, nth degree. until they yeah, got exactly. it absolutely 100%. Right. Sure, yeah. I never seen it to plan. I had no gift for strategy. Think uh, Sinatra, Martin. Sure, um, that one. Not Clooney. Unlike Ocean's Eleven in that it's interesting to read about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it was it was meticulously planned. I mean, it was so, they, they, they were so careful about it that they planned it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And even then, when they actually made the attempt on the 17th of January when they got away with the money, that was the seventh time that they had made the approach to do it and they'd aborted six times wow. before they Right, so it. they just, at the last minute, went, cancel, control-alt-delete. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what the... Um, have you got details of the, the plan? Yes. So they spent weeks planning and planning and planning and sure. sort of just going over and over... And, and what's made it even more uh, interesting, that one of my favourite parts of it is early on, they managed to get their way into the building by basically removing the locks from the doors <laughs> one by one mm-hmm. and making keys for the locks and then putting the locks back. So over a period of weeks, more oh, months? Over a like period that. of weeks, and yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> See, it's not something you can do quickly, is it? Take the lock out, take it away. No. So it's not a question of borrowing the key to make a copy. Yeah, it's, no. it's not chain- pressing it into a bit of soap. It's changing the no, lock. the locks, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Time after time after time, after closing, after everyone had left for the day, yep. they'd break in, basically, and then they would take the lock, the cylinder, out of the doors, yep. and then they would go to a locksmith, and he would make keys for them, and then they'd put them back. And they did that for five doors. It could have so it could have so finished, and or been rumbled, or been... Ruined Absolutely. by and in by one of the how many were how many were involved? Eleven. Eleven. By one of them could have gone. Actually, do you know what? While I'm in here, and no one else is around, I, you know, yeah, and it could absolutely. have just at any point been absolutely. That's the end of that, because someone uh, thought, oh, I can't be bothered to wait another seven break-ins yeah. for this. I'm going to nick a bag full of stuff or some of these really good pens yeah oh damn it's on a <laughs> or just, it's on a chain yeah <laughs> <laughs> or just go in and just move all the filing cabinets around that'll mess them up yeah <laughs> so yeah so what they would do they would break in someone would stay on the premises while another gang member would take the lock away get the, they had a, uh, a locksmith shop that they had basically got him to stay open late so they knew that the offices would go home at a certain time they had the locksmiths open late and then they went round and said, hello, it's us again, can you change this lock? And it's just basically made the keys. kept on doing that, yeah. Go get those keys. Go get them. Not the cheese, the keys. So they basically had five locks. They now had the keys to five locks that were getting them from the street all the way into the vault room. But then, of course, you've got the vault. And then, of course, you've got the vault. That's not the kind of lock you can take up the road to a locksmith. That's why no, you start that's... with that, the first one. I mean, uh, 
Yeah. I mean, I, I've got a picture in my head of someone with a stethoscope and a yeah, very sure. steady hand. Yeah. You know? yeah. Or you could just go in with guns, surprise them at the vault and say, open the vault or we'll shoot you. Right. Oh, this is where they poured petrol over them and asked for the... For the numbers. Oh no! Wait a minute. That's the brink. <laughs> he's, he's getting mixed up. <laughs> wait a minute. It's some complicated job, isn't it? It was. It was a huge job. I mean, they were planning. This was what's this? About a year. Wow. Before they went in, I think maybe a year. How much did they get in the end? A couple of million. Two point seven. Two point seven. Okay. But so it's worth the effort if you think about the salary that you're earning. Well, yeah. I mean, pounds per hour. You could. I could yeah. I'd retire on it. Yeah. Yeah. Even now. Even now, especially now. <laughs> well, yeah. Let's say in current parlance, that's about $30 million. Now, even okay. if I never paid any tax and never got a pay rise, that's a thousand years' salary for me. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, I mean, it's all right. Even divided by 11, you know, that's still a hundred, that's nigh on 100 years of money each. You could live a high on the hog, put it that way. Yeah, you could, couldn't you? The, uh, the guy who came up with the whole plan was Big Joe McGuinness. Of course he was. Okay. And he brought in a couple of characters named Stanley Gus, Gus Shiora. Yep. And a fellow named Tony Pino. Frankly, no one thinks you'll pull it off. Who's no one? Everyone. Right, okay. So is that, <laughs> it, So they were in that racket anyway, were they? Oh, yeah. These are professional right, okay. heist, heistmen. 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 So here's a few of the people. So you've got, uh, these are some fantastic names. You have to imagine I'm doing a lot of air quotes here. Yeah, sure. So some of the other people were called Vincent Costa, who was Pino's brother-in-law, Michael Vincent Vinnie Geegan, Thomas Sandy Francis Richardson, Adolf Jazz Maffey. I know why he changed his name, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, Henry Baker. Not as much fun. <laughs> what, no quotes? <laughs> Not, not even a the in the middle. <laughs> Henry yep. the Baker. James Gillimets Faraday. Gillimot? <laughs> Gillimets. Is that his nickname? <laughs> what did he name? Gillimets, yes. He named him after the seabird. Not Gillimots, Gillimets. Oh, Is that his nickname? That That's not a nickname. That's his nickname. Gilly. Gilly. But not Gillimots. Gilly. Anyway, awesome. carry on. Joseph Banfield. And the man with the best name and one of the key characters yep. for later on is Joseph Spex O'Keefe. Hey, Spex. Give me the, <laughs> give me the bag. I mean, it sounds like the anthill mob, frankly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it does, yeah. Uh-oh, there's the policeman again. Quick, make like the little league team. you got I'm Big Joe, out. Specs, Gus, Vinny, Sandy, It could be Jazz. from the Beano. <laughs> I'm going out on a limb uh, to suggest that he wore glasses. <laughs> you reckon? He might have been speculative in finance. I mean, he was, let's face it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I speculate this robbery. <laughs> Of course, we're assuming they're Italian, but <laughs> from the accent. They sound as if they have <laughs> hey. roots from it. Hey, Vinny. New York Italian. We're, t- we're based in Boston. I know we are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just... They're all New York. Hey, Specs, hey. what are you going to do? <laughs> it's more Irish in Boston, isn't it? Give us your best Boston Irish. Um, <laughs> not even going to go no, there. No, no, walk away. <laughs> They were studying the schedules. It was said that um, they knew what the staff were doing purely based on which lights 
came on and what when they went off they knew who, who they wow. were doing that's how close they were they could, they could stand across the street on the roof sure, yeah. watch the windows and they go right oh so they've got the two guys doing this and he's going over there they know what they were doing you've got to know the internal layout and and what people do each day really well for that yeah exactly so they had uh, someone monitoring from the rooftop across the road they stole the plans for the uh, alarms on site basically they'd been planning this casing the place for nearly two years Right before they went in. After six attempts, January 17th, 1950, in they go. In full. Banfield was the driver. He was in the front of a truck. And then who went in was uh, Tony Pino. Tony Pino! Uh Specs O'Keefe. Specs O'Keefe! Baker, Faraday, Maffey, Gusiora, Gigan, and Richardson. So quite a few went in. Mind you, did they have an idea what they were going to nick? Or were they just going to steal whatever yeah, was there? They were, well, they had an idea what would be there, but they were basically going in to get whatever. It could have been, I don't know, ten times that at one point in the month. And then £4.23 on, on a last Tuesday, kind of. I mean, they presumably knew that, but... If you've been casing it for a year, though, you know exactly sure, sure. what's okay. in there. Yeah, they would have had a decent idea. Yeah, they're you know, never going to know what time exactly. of day, what day of the week, you know, yeah, it, when stuff's moved, where it goes to when it leaves, where it's coming from. Yeah, not only have they seen people coming and going, and, and vans pulling up and cash and that being whatever, but they've been inside. They've been, they've seen what's what's where. Right in the van, they've all been given a, a heavy coat and a chauffeur's cap, so they give them make a uni- like a uniform appearance. Yep, mm-hmm. uh, they've all been given a pistol. And what's described as a Halloween-y style mask. Ooh. Basically, it's a rubber mask. Was it Michael Myers? It was not, no. But oh. not that Halloween. Oh, a bit early, really, for Michael Myers, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit early. I mean, it looked, I think, you know, you might say Tony Curtis-y. Mm. I uh-huh. think it is, but... Yeah. I, think, yeah. I don't know whether Tony Curtis was... I think he was a big star by then. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. I mean, I was going to say he looks a bit like Victor Mature, but I think you're more right with Tony Curtis. <laughs> the quiz. If Tony Curtis and Victor Mature had a love child, I think it would it's look a bit, like a um, Halloween mask. It's a bit... It would. It's a bit Superman-y. <laughs> Superman was about that time. But... Apparently, it's Captain Marvel from a uh, comic book series. Did they all have that one? They all, they all had, had the same mask. They all had the same yeah. one? Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's confusing. Well, that's it? good. See that's what you want, isn't it? All the same yeah. person They all look the same. Room. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, they all had gloves and they had their shoes covered to muffle their footsteps. Okay. So they could sneak mm. in. They used their keys, whacked on the masks, and in they go. They got straight to the second floor and took five Brinks employees completely by surprise. Everybody, be cool, this is a robbery! And this was during the day? Wow. This is in the evening, about seven o'clock. Oh, uh, okay. So it's okay. right, okay. It's end of the day, they're finishing up. Yep. So they're ready. They're yeah. pretty much ready to go home. So they tied and gagged the employees yep. and started going through the stuff, basically, bagging everything up. Yep. So by, by stuff, is this just lying around in the office? Yeah, basically, yeah. They're not in a vault or anything like that? This I think the just... vault was open because they oh, were right. putting the money in, away for the night. You know? Ah, perfect timing. Uh, yeah. I guess. So they really... don't even have to bother. Yeah. Right, okay. They bagged up all the loot, and they were before they went. They saw there was a metal box that had the General Electric Company's um, payroll in it, and they tried to open it. But it turns out they didn't bring any actual tools with them. 
so they couldn't they couldn't they couldn't get in after all their meticulous planning well, I suppose they brought in they, the, um, the masks and the guns it didn't occur to them they might have to break open something yeah see cash I can understand gems yeah. and stuff like that and bonds I can understand yeah. bullion is obvious that's obviously difficult but, but stealing checks I, st- <laughs> I just don't get I don't understand. how do you you know you steal a a check for the Boston Jazz Club yeah. <laughs> and Aunt Mabel's Christmas present to her daughter. I, 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 I don't know. You, you can't. What are you going to do? Open up a bank account by the name of Aunt B, Mabel, Mr. B. Austin Jazz yeah. Company. The exactly. you're going to. How would you do that? And then and then pay in the seventeen dollars thirty-seven and, yeah. and then close the account. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm sure checks work very differently in the US than they do over here. Well, they're even spelled differently. Oh, well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> People from the Czech Republic. I don't think they would have lugged ton, you know, bags and bags of stuff. No, I, I mean say that. it was it was I substantial. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I don't think seventy years later, well, knowing nothing about the. Uh... <laughs> anyway. They drove. They they got in the van and drove away. In the van, drove away. Yep. Okay. Money. FBI turns up, obviously. So they find. What did they find? Eleven rubber masks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they found very little, to be perfectly honest. They found the rope, obviously, that was used to bind the employees. They found the uh, waterproof adhesive tape. That they'd used to gag the employees, and, and one yep. of the one of the uh, robbers had left their chauffeur's cap behind. So basically, they rounded up the usual suspects. Well-known criminals in Boston were okay, were yeah. questioned by police, and then obviously from Boston they weren't getting any results. So they basically spread out to other cities, and they just said, like pick up anybody you know who can't account for their whereabouts, or you know veteran criminals just. It just went all across the US. So they uh, they didn't have any leads at all. They had they had pretty much nothing. I mean, they had a lot of suspects, but no reason to suspect them. Just basically, they were this just guy trying. Yeah. To... He's a he's a known mobster. He's a wrong anyway. He's, yeah. he's a wrong okay. He's a wrong yeah. yeah. Feely's collar. Yeah. Feely's collar. There was a lot of collars feeling going on. Right. Briggs Incorporated offered a one hundred thousand dollar reward for information. And of course, that it's meant millions point, of Americans. I was going to say yes. that is yeah. that opens the floodgates, basically, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Did that did that come with the usual caveat of that leads to an arrest? <laughs> More it, if it led to a conviction. Wow! Wow! Ah. But yes, of course, lots of well-meaning people, millions of well-meaning people, suddenly started suddenly sending tips and theories. Yeah, sure. A literal wealth of information. But uh, yeah, not useful information. One helpful person from California suggested that the loot might be concealed in the Atlantic Ocean, for example. <laughs> yeah, let's go search. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be in the sea. Touch every ravine, every crevice. Out of all of these leads that are not going anywhere, all these people who've been phoning up saying, you know, look in the sea. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. For example. I mean, I've got no, I've got no sympathy for that because it's like if you're going to say hundred thousand dollars. If yeah. you're going to say that, then you're just going to get all manner of every nut, every nut bag going, on this going, yeah. going yeah. Um, I saw it. Yeah, exactly. Aliens yeah. stole it. Yeah. Well, despite all the nut jobs coming out of the woodwork, the name of Anthony Pino comes up. Tony Pino. A few times. Uh-huh. To be fair, it might have come up anyway. Well, it has come up, and okay. yeah, the reason his name has come up specifically in the case, 
of the Brinks job is because he's he has a reputation mm. among Boston criminals sure. as a as a case man, someone okay. who's good at planning Fine. Okay. jobs like this. Yep. And by by accounts of those interviewed, this this job bore his trademark. Okay. And a few people mentioned his name or right. something, probably. Yeah. His alibi was that about seven about seven p.m. he went in a liquor store, which was run by McGuinness, another of the gang. Yep. And got involved in a conversation with McGuinness and a Boston police officer. <laughs> okay, so that was true. Was it? That was. That was true. So he both of those, a, Big a, Big Joe and Tony P, were yeah. not involved in the nicking of the stuff. They were. They were there because they were there. actually, oh, it, sorry, turns, right, okay. it turns it turns out that oh, wow. this it turns out that this the liquor store is about fifteen minutes away from the Brinkhouse offices. So they've basically right. established their alibi by talking to the local beat copper. Deliberately, but they could still have. Yeah. Which, as far as the Boston police are concerned, might have been a good enough alibi, but the FBI pointed out that... Arguably, that's not an alibi, is it? That just places him near the scene (laughs) of the crime. Yeah, exactly. If he's chatting chatting with a copper for 15 minutes, he could, and then 15 minutes to the offices, he could be there by half past seven. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, The second the officer left the shop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If I were going to create an alibi, the last thing I'd want to do is an alibi... 15 minutes from the scene of the crime. Well, exactly. You want an alibi in another state, don't you? (laughs) Yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah. But his name's come up, so obviously they go, okay, this is a known hoodlum. This sounds like it might have his his MO. He's definitely in the area because he was having a chat with a copper. So he might have been involved even if he wasn't there. So they start looking into him and they're picking up names of the people who, you know, they might have been known associates, you know. In June... Because they've now got O'Keefe and Gasura on their radar. They drove to Tawanda, Pennsylvania, where they were pulled over and they found guns and clothing from burglaries that they'd been involved in in Pennsylvania. Okay. Hmm. In September, O'Keefe is sentenced to three years and Gasura uh, was acquitted, but he was taken to stand trial for uh, another burglary and like receiving stolen goods and things. And he, he was sentenced to serve between five and 20 years um, in Pittsburgh. So both of these two key gang members are now in prison. So the guys, these two guys apparently are trying to press for money. They're asking people like Pino, McGuinness, Jazz, Maffey, etc. Adolf. They're asking uh, Adolf. They're looking for money to fight the charges, to go mount a legal fight. O'Keefe clearly thought that now that he was in in jail, he wasn't getting a, a lot of attention, he wasn't getting any money. He, so he thinks he's been left out in the cold. <laughs> so O'Keefe um, was out on appeal in March of 1954, released on a $15,000 bond. Okay, so it's quite a, long, quite uh-huh. a lot of time has passed. A lot of time has passed. Yeah, yeah. He goes straight back to Boston. He's waiting for his appeal. Yep. Within the next two months, Jazz Maffey was convicted for uh, uh, income tax evasion. Okay. Nine months in, in prison. Yep. Income tax evasion? Yeah. Isn't that what Scarface got arrested for? Exactly, yes. Quite right. They always get you on that. Ne- yeah. Never the murders. Yeah. No, never I the mean, murders. You know, luckily. <laughs> Just all that tax you avoided. That's the most important thing. But the point the point is, all the gang members are all being... The FBI think they know that this group of people is, is Was, involved. They did it, right, yeah. 
but they've got no evidence you know they even at one point they tried to convene a grand jury but it fell apart because they just basically didn't have any evidence so they, they have they, they've, they've tried they're not getting anywhere because it's, they've been so careful however it's slowly starting to fall apart because people are, from the gang are being found guilty of other things sure burglaries tax evasion they're all being picked up they're all being put under pressure to squeal that's a uh, yeah that's a term I don't know whether you knew that yeah I ain't I ain't squealing now of course the rumour mill doesn't uh, do any favours for this group because everyone's talking about the gang the crime and all of these people in and out of prison and there's a lot of rumours going on about um, people having money or not having money and who's got what share so of course it's uh, all right. adding to the yes. to the fire to the tension yeah yeah O'Keefe's been in prison trying to get money for his uh, his legal battle. Yep, unsuccessfully. Unsuccessfully. Oh, that's gonna. Yeah. That's gonna not help. Basically, is it? Yeah, you feel pretty frustrated when you're inside yeah, as well. Sure, I yeah. think. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, like, it's not you don't have any control over anything when you're inside. No, exactly. Now something interesting happens because O'Keefe met up with a local racketeer. Him and, and O'Keefe took Vincent Costa, one of the other gang members, to a hotel room and basically held him there until other members of the gang um, <laughs> offered to pay him some money. He ransomed one of the gang members to the other gang member. What do you mean? He kidnapped a gang right. member? Yeah. Why would the other gang members go, OK, then? Well, exactly, yeah. Well, because he's clearly he's unstable. <laughs> So you pay up. You yeah, pay if, up to shut. If up. somebody's out of the picture, then there's another. There's exactly. Another yeah. Why would they care? Unless he, I'm. Well, Costa is Tony Pino's brother-in-law, so it's important to Pino, obviously. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, the thing is, O'Keefe is obviously now he's becoming unstable, and there's only two ways you deal with an unstable gang member, isn't there? You pay them off, or you knock them off. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Now he's asking for the he's former. He's asking for money. The former, yep. So they make arrangements to pay him some money. They give him a small a small amount. They didn't yep. give him the, the many thousands he asked for. They give him some. He gives him, and they and Costa in May, uh, Costa was re- released. Now, in June, after a c- couple of weeks, suddenly there's an attempt on O'Keefe's life. Yeah, what a surprise! Let me guess. <laughs> what it a was surprise. via Costa based. Um, <laughs> angle. Well, there's uh, a, a car pulled alongside O'Keefe's car. Oh yeah. And uh, in the morning on the fifth of June, now O'Keefe, seeing his car pull alongside him, he gets a bit suspicious. So he crouched low down in, in his front seat of his car. Yep. And the next thing you know, gunshots coming through the windshield. Wow! Wow! That's saying. I can't see you, you can't see me, doesn't really work doesn't with work bullets. Doesn't work with bullets, no. no, exactly. He survives, they, they miss. They, they wow. fire into the car, they miss, he, he's crouched down, he's out he, of the way. He, the I mean, to be honest, he, well, by the fact that he crouched down, uh, was would have expected this, because, I mean, if you try to pull off that kidnapping of your apparent colleague, it, yeah. it doesn't, it's not all warm handshakes all round, is it? It's it's like, as you yeah. say, it's a payoff or, or knock-off, basically. Yeah, and I'm reminded of Loomis Fargo again. Oh, yeah. You remember when uh, Gant went to Mexico? Yes, and then he wanted some money, yes. yeah. He yeah, wanted yeah. some money. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And they wouldn't give it to and, him. 
and they wouldn't give it to him, yeah. but they did try and have him killed. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. No honour among thieves. Yeah. So on the fourteenth of June, there's another incident. Um, O'Keefe and his 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 friend, this racketeer, this local guy, they paid a visit to Baker. Now by this time, Baker he was right on edge because he's heard about all this back and forth, obviously. Now he pulled a gun on O'Keefe, and the two of them basically fired at each other. They both missed, and they fled. It was a fleeing. They flee. Oh, good. I like a fleeing. We good. Love a good fleeing. <laughs> I do like a fleeing. Yeah. They didn't just run away. They flee. Yeah. It all unravels, doesn't it? Even in the wor- that world of untowardness, the criminal underworld, it will still psychologically unravel. Because, and someone somewhere will feel uneasy or anxious or, you know, un, un, unjust. And unjust was, you know, done. And this is exactly what happens. It seems quite a lot of time had passed, though, hadn't it? Yeah, oh yeah. Now, there's a third attempt on Ke- O'Keefe. Really? Two days later, two days after the encounter with Baker, which arguably they went to see yeah. Baker and Baker was just terrified. So this time was another attempt where um, someone attacked O'Keefe on the 16th of June. O'Keefe was wounded in the wrist and the chest but managed to survive. There was a 45 caliber pistol left at the scene, which may or may not have been O'Keefe's. But a man was arrested the next day. Elmer Trigger Burke, he was called. Uh, that's, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was charged with possession of a machine gun. Or uh, they should say submachine gun, but nonetheless... Do we know? Do we know what kind of submachine gun was? We don't. But in 1954, I'd say it was a Tommy, Tommy gun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would imagine it was, given the it era. Had to be really. Yeah. Um, now he, uh, Trigger Burke, was a professional <laughs> killer. It's like I'd be, if I was him, I'd be like, oh, for God's sake, can you call me something else? Can you call me? Don't call me Burke. Call me. Bagel Burke or something, because I'm great at cooking bagels. You know, it's like, don't call me after my murderous... <laughs> and for those across the pond, the name Burke in the UK means an idiot. He's an idiot, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're a Burke, you're an or idiot. Or an Edinburgh murderer. Yeah. <laughs> now, he's a, he's obviously, they, they believe that he's been hired by O'Keefe's uh, associates I to assassinate him. I think that's quite a good uh, suggestion. <laughs> It's a good guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. So O'Keefe, having been wounded, he disappears, but he's then arrested on August the 1st, so like six weeks later. it's all go, isn't it? It's all happening, yeah. Now, he's held for violating probation for carrying a gun. Yes. Um, And he's he's then sentenced to serve a further 27 months in prison. I um, would argue that he would have been not too displeased about that because he kind of would have been taking him out of the loop so to speak you know to be not exactly safe in prison but do you know what I mean just to be kind of like out of sight so to speak I mean but these are all professional criminals and sure. if, if, <laughs> it doesn't matter if the, episode, <laughs> if the episodes of Law and Order are, are to be believed it's probably easier to whack someone because yeah, okay. right, they can't right. get away yes that's true yeah, yeah. or that, that might be a fiction for the purpose of drama I think it is who knows So now the fact of the matter is, by the time of 1954, the whole gang is independently spending loads of money just on legal proceedings, ah, right. before, without anything else. Unconnected so much, d- on yeah. for other cases. 
for other cases, yeah. It's annoying. Obviously, they've all got their legal problems. They've all got money issues, even though they've got this robbery money. They've clearly been sitting on it because they can't identify any of the bills. Of course they can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It almost seems, it almost appears that there was, you know, what's the point? (laughs) Everyone's on edge, but the one who's basically on the brink... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, is, thank you very much. Tish. See you next week. It's uh, is your friend of mine, Specs O'Keefe. Hey, Specs. He, but he's psychologically quite anxious because people are trying to knock him off. But yeah, number one, because he feels like he's been left out he in the. Can't comp. be in a good state. Can no. he? He's not in a good way. He's had at least three or two specific attempts on his life and a run-in with another gang member in which shots were fired. Mm. So it's things are getting very tense. Everyone is anxious about it. Now, he's still writing letters from his cell to the other gang members. He's bitter. He's asking for money, obviously. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he's, he's the one who's going to be turn in and say, OK, he turns to the FBI and he says, all right, what do you want to know? I'll tell you everything. Ah, right. OK. Yeah. So January 1956, he breaks, finally. So he thinks, forget it. He, yeah, he seems prime, really, to, to be the one that's oh, this, this, yeah. this is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so does he squeal on yeah. ten... Finally, all of a ten sudden. Ten others. On the ten others, yeah. Wow, he wow. turns over everybody. Wow. Wow. So 1956, January, they arrest six people. Baker, Costa, Gigan, Maffey, McGuinness and Tony Pino. Tony Pino. And they are set bail, which is more than $100,000 per man. Wow. So, Which is a lot wow. in 1950. It is, yeah. It's yeah, a, yeah. Lot of, yeah. Lot, a lot of money. By the way, I presume nobody uh, was paid the 100000 uh whatever you call it, ran- no. ransom. Ransom. No. No. The, ran- not ransom. Because nobody, because nobody knew anything. It was only them, that yeah. 11, effectively, didn't it? it I mean, yeah. if anything, yeah. Tony, no, what's he called? Specs McGinty, or whatever he's called, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> should have been paid the 100 grand. Because he... Specs McSavers. Yeah. <laughs> because he provided the evidence. That led yeah. to ten convictions. In, in fact, should he've been paid a hundred grand per conviction, and therefore there's a million quid. Thank you very much. Good night. <laughs> Why didn't I do this earlier? But he he technically should have been paid that. But I suspect there was a loophole. So six members are in custody. Yes. Now three of them were accounted for. O'Keefe and Gussiora, obviously, they're in prison. Mm-hmm. Banfield had died by this point, so he was. They was knew. he? You know, yeah. Just he'd passed away, uh, and then that leaves two people, Fahati, Fahati and Richardson. Now they they fled. Did they? Hey. Good. Uh, they ran away. They were put on the ten most wanted fugitives list. Run away <laughs> until May the sixteenth, when they were finally caught up with. Uh, Five months later. Is that right, is that so ten? That's, the lot. that's that's it. That's, that's 11. eleven. That's all of them. Right. Okay. Uh, and O'Keefe, so they're going to be going up for, I guess, the grand jury, and O'Keefe was principal witness, obviously. Oh, yes, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In June, a Baltimore police officer. Baltimore? Police department. It's miles away. It is miles away. Yes. Baltimore, it's in Maryland. It is. Or Maryland. Uh, the police department was Maryland. approached by uh, an amusement arcade operator. What? Mobsters used amusement arcades for uh, laundering money quite often, really? didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of churn of cash yeah. in there. Of course. Yeah, yeah. So this amusement arcade guy, he uh, goes to the police and say, I think I've been handed a $10, a counterfeit $10 bill. 
Okay. They find this guy in possession of a, a large amount of money, right. and they're saying it's not counterfeit. However, it does turn out that some of this money may be from the Brinks loot because of the serial numbers. So it's purely by chance that they this guy erroneously reports that he has a counterfeit bill. Turns out it wasn't counterfeit. Not only was it not counterfeit, but it was part of the Brinks job. Ah. The point of it is that this is the only money that's turned up the oh, whole okay. time. The entire thing. Is yeah. this money that this this man had. Yes. They actually turned up about $50,000 ultimately by following this lead. Wow. Hmm. But that still left more than a million dollars just in cash. Yeah, alone, sure, yeah. Unaccounted for. Now, Gus Siora, who was in prison, he, uh, in July of 1956, he was in the uh, medical wing of the prison in Massachusetts. And he got up out of bed and he slipped down, fell and struck his head and within two hours he was dead. Um, so he, that's the second one down. So he's now dead. We're down to nine. Um, with Gus Siora dead, O'Keefe now is more determined to see justice done yeah. by putting everyone else away. Obviously, with him as lead defendant, you've now got eight members of the gang to be tried. Yes. Um, so O'Keefe had already uh, pleaded guilty, so you've got eight going to trial. Quite a lot happens in 1956 on this case, it's, doesn't it? Mm. It's, yeah, it's busy. It's a busy time. There are more than 100 people witnesses for the prosecution, but the main one, of course, is Spex O'Keefe, who's basically just gives every tiny detail from start to finish. Right. Of everything yeah, that yeah. Because he's he's decided it's in his interest to do so. Yeah. yeah. And also he's so, he's like squealing. You know, he he's doesn't like any of them anymore because they tried to do him over. Yeah. Exactly. The jury deliberate for three and a half hours and then when they come back it's eight guilty verdicts. Right, okay. And they get a mixture of between eight and ten years with you know two years here, two years there for conspiracy, and but they all get about eight to ten years for robbery. Uh, O'Keefe got four years. Now uh, one thing, um, Trigger Burke, um, he escaped from jail Oof. in Boston. Did he? Because of the gun possession charge, the mach- possession of the machine gun from the shooting of O'Keefe. Yep. He uh, he separated himself and from from the uh, rest of the prisoners during an exercise yard period mm-hmm. basically uh, the guard went to stop him and Burkus broke into a run and uh, when the door opened a ma- there was a masked man where, uh, on the other side <laughs> holding a gun right. and the masked man and Burke escaped through the, through the door and they got away in a car I wonder if he was wearing um, the Tony Curtis uh, mask <laughs> I just, I just wanted yeah, yeah. to be. Yeah, I know. It, all right, it might not be Tony Curtis, but whatever that mask was, several years previously. Yeah, this would all make a really good movie. I think this would make a super movie. You would be, uh, you'll be pleased to know that um, Trigger Burke was subsequently arrested in 1955 um, and executed for outstanding murder charges. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Blimey. No, well, he was a known killer. He was a hired killer. Right. He was oh, a gunman. Okay. That's okay. his job. I mean, to be so fair, if, he you, faced, if you called Trigger. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny, Rue, that you should say this would make a good movie. Oh, because yeah. it's made four good movies. Well. <laughs> of that particular Brinks episode. Uh, of, of or inspired by. 
Yeah. Um, all around a, a short period, actually. Um, 1955, there was a... God, so that's that's before this case was stitched up then? Yeah. Because if they were still in court in 1956, this is... This is fresh, exactly right. You know? Exactly wow. right. It hasn't even they haven't even gone been picked up on it. I'm yet. not sure that would happen these days. They'd do a film about it before they'd even been fully convicted. There's films about um, DB Cooper. He's never oh. been convicted. Well, all right, okay, all right, fine. I mean, it's a nice. There's films about nice. Jack the Ripper. <laughs> There's plenty of films about Jack the Ripper. Yeah. He's never been convicted. <laughs> all right, fine. <laughs> it's fresh. It's exciting. It's a robbery. Yeah, what no, happened? I know, Who's I there? Know. Would have, yeah, would have loved it. So the movie Six Bridges to Cross, and just because their names come up, guess who is the star of Six Bridges to Cross? Well, it's not Tony Curtis, surely. It's Tony Curtis. Oh, really? Yes. Yes. I would argue that that's definitely in then. That that uh, that mask. <laughs> that's that's come full circle. That's that bizarre. Is. Serendipitous. Wow. Tony Curtis and Julie Adams, uh, directed by Joseph Pivney. Wow, very good. I have to see this movie now because I just want to see Tony Curtis pulling off of his head a Tony Curtis mask. Yeah, yeah of course. And 11 others. Yeah, yeah. And he's the only one who looks exactly the same after he's pulled his mask <laughs> yeah. off. So 1961, there's um, another movie called Blueprint for Robbery. Then there's one called, in 1976, there's a movie called Brinks, The Great Robbery. Mm-hmm. Uh, which has a uh, uh, Leslie Nielsen is in that one. Oh, really? In a serious yeah. role. In a serious role. Very good. And in 1978, my personal favourite, The Brinks Job. It's kind of a comedy. It's, I mean, you could tell it's got Peter Falk is in the lead. Okay. Okay. It's directed by William Freakin, and it also features uh, Warren Oates, Paul Sorvino, Peter Boyle, Gila Rollins. No, great. These great. Yeah, yeah. Paul Sorvino and Peter Boyle. That's pretty. So Peter Falk, so sorry, do we know who Peter Falk played? He plays Tony Pino. Oh, okay. Right, right. Okay. He's the lead. It's a really good this movie. This is the one that's based on the book? Yeah, yeah. It, again, I mean, if, if, this, if this podcast only recommends great movies to watch... That was really know, good. The, the, the Brinks Job is a fantastic is film. I'd absolutely recommend it. Is that yeah, pre-Columbo? Yeah. Uh, I think it would have been about the I same think, uh, time. 78. Okay. Uh-huh. Columbo ran from 68 to like 2000 or something. God, did it? <laughs> this went forever and ever. Just one more thing. So it was about the same time, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Why movie. is it Peter good? Peter Falk is great in it. Because the, the, the actors in it, the characters are fantastic. A, it's a great story. Yeah, it's a great sure, story. Sure, yeah. uh, you know, when I'm not reading it. Intertwining. <laughs> and... Uh, Peter Falk, Peter Boyle, I mean, they're absolutely fantastic actors. And, well, Peter Falk in himself is even playing Peter Falk, he's a character. Yeah, so it's yeah, really, sure, sure. It's yeah. really, it's really yeah. well done. Right. But you su- suggested it was a kind of comedy drama or something. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's based on the story. A he- it's a heist movie. It's not a. Right, okay. Small right. town crooks. Yeah. Hey, guess who was in that? Mira Salvino. Mira Salvino. And we've come full circle. <laughs> the Brinks job. A crime so insane, nobody in their right mind would go in on it. And nobody in their right mind did. That's all for this time. If you want to know more about what we've discussed over the course of this episode, just Google it or something. You can see daily true crime updates on our Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can email us or you can support the show with a PayPal donation. 
and links to all of those are on our website at truecrimediary.co.uk. Don't forget to send us a review or post one in your podcast service if you can, and all five-star reviews will get a shout-out on a future episode. Join us next time when we'll be similarly discussing and digressing on another event in true crime history. Until then, my thanks to Jared and Rue. My name's Mark, and we'll see you on the next date in our True Crime Diary.